<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hi, this is Jason Greenblatt on The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. Today I was pleased to have a conversation with Georgia Wells. Georgia is a journalist with The Wall Street Journal. The Wall Street Journal has been writing about Instagram and Facebook, the effect on teens, teenage girls in particular, the emotional uh, wellness of teenage girls. They are reporting on the conversations with the whistleblower, Francis Haugen on the Hill. And uh, I'm really glad that Georgia and I had this conversation. Take a listen. I'm Jason Greenblatt. This is The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. Georgia Wells from The Wall Street Journal, thank you so much for joining me for what I think is a really, really important topic these days, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and more. I thought your article and The Wall Street Journal's Facebook files was incredibly interesting, informative, and look, as a dad of six kids, including four girls, which include a teen, a boy teen, one girl tween, and one daughter teen, Really, really troubling, though I'll be honest and say also that if I wasn't a dad, I'd still be equally troubled by all these things that you've uncovered and the Wall Street Journal has uncovered. Let's start with this question. What prompted the Wall Street Journal to create the Facebook files for you to do your research and write these articles? What what sparked that? This really started with my colleague Jeff Horwitz and and just really dogged, but frankly, um, you know, pretty typical beat reporting. He was reaching out to sources the way we do every single day, and he contacted Francis Haugen, who we know, who we now know as the whistleblower. And they started talking, and in a way, she was kind of interviewing him to kind of consider whether she considered him credible, and she did. And then. She, you know, as she left Facebook, she collected these documents. She brought them to the SEC. She brought them to lawmakers. And also, you know, the Wall Street Journal, we also got a copy of these documents. And as we were going through the documents, we were looking for, like, what were the really important trends that were standing out here? And one of the trends that just, like, really jumped out of this was Facebook's research into how Instagram can affect users. And Facebook had a ton of internal research on this. And I think the bottom line conclusion, if I could summarize what your central point and, and the Facebook file central point was, this might even be a quote from one of your articles or the Facebook files, is that Facebook knows in acute detail that its platforms are riddled with flaws that could cause harm. And time and again, despite congressional hearings, its own pledges and numerous media exposés the company doesn't fix them. What is a, a user of Facebook, a consumer, a world citizen supposed to think when we hear things like that? Is Facebook out to get us? Do they not care about us? Is it all about the bottom line? That's a great question. I think broadly what you laid out, we saw this pattern over and over again across all aspects of the company's business, you know, like overseas, you know, teen use of Instagram, uh, VIPs getting different rules than regular users on Facebook. We saw this 
kind of deference to kind of powerful people and also the company finding harm on its platform and not alerting users. Looking specifically at the findings with Instagram and teenagers, one thing that really stood out at me that really I think you can generalize across the company is that Facebook found harm. Instagram researchers found that Instagram is harmful for a sizable percentage of users, most notably teen girls. And my inbox now is filled with messages from parents, from parents who had assumed that had the company found evidence of harm, that it would have alerted them. So it gets at this issue of trust, that parents appear to have assumed that if they were going to allow their teenagers to use Facebook's products, that parents assumed that Facebook would have alerted them if it found harm. And all these messages in my inbox now kind of refer to this broken trust. And I think that this broken trust is something that really is not just for teenagers. I think just whatever regular user you're talking about on Instagram, there's there's an aspect of broken trust that kind of an assumption that if things went wrong, that Facebook would have told users and Facebook didn't. Right. So you raise a really interesting thing in my mind that I, I was actually going to get to later in the interview, but because you just said that, it's important to bring it up front. I don't want to dump on Facebook alone, right? Uh, Facebook clearly has a lot of responsibility, but parents do too. So do the users, right? So you had written in your article about a teenage girl who's now 18 who developed an eating disorder. She joined Instagram at age 13. She spent three hours a day essentially entranced by the perfect lives that are being shown on Instagram. I like to think of myself and my wife as well. We like to think of ourselves as pretty strict parents. We know what our kids are doing. We set rules. But the truth is, I don't monitor them. And, you know, when they were younger, when the older ones who are now almost 23 were younger, we had all these filters and blockages and whatever. But as technology gets more sophisticated by the second, I mean, it's all outdated all the time. So there's an element of trust between us and our kids. But it's hard. It's hard for parents to understand how much time their kids are spending and you know, we could tell our kids what we want and maybe they're listening, maybe they're not listening. So how much of this do you think is on Facebook to educate its users about the dangers of spending too much time? And then you raise the most important point is, and they're not even telling the users and their parents the dangers that they've uncovered. So I almost see it as a two-part question. Part one, the basic of whose responsibility it is for normal, appropriate use. And we don't have to be like China where we restrict things to weekends. But then there's the trust element, which is probably far more important than that because Facebook, it seems, knew of the harm. And, you know, we have warnings on cigarettes. We have warnings on e-cigarettes. We have warnings on alcohol. Should we have warnings on these things? Was it on Facebook to alert everybody to what was going on? Complex question. No, good question, though. Let me start to try to unpack it. In the documents, we can see Facebook's researchers hitting on this issue of addiction, essentially, among many of the teens, that the teens describes to the researchers in interviews almost an addict's narrative for their experience with Instagram, that many of the teens identified that the app was making them feel worse about themselves, but they didn't know how to put it down. They didn't know how to use it less. And then for many of the teens who were most vulnerable, who had who came to the app perhaps with some of the most severe mental health issues already, making them more susceptible, those teens lacked even more the skills to put the app down. And so they're really in a tricky spot 
like trying to ask a teenager who hasn't like totally developed yet, you know, to exert some self-control is really hard. But so then you, you bring in the parents and the parents oftentimes are trying to help their teenagers or setting boundaries. But what comes up in the documents is that many of the parents either aren't on these apps very often themselves, or maybe they are, but they didn't go through the experience of being a teenager on Instagram and really like feeling kind of this like conflicted feeling of feeling like you need to be on Instagram to understand what's happening among your peers, but not wanting to be on too much because, you know, it can start to feel harmful. So, So the parents kind of have these questions and the researchers identify that parents aren't sure how to guide their teenagers. There's a really amazing entrepreneur named Larissa May, and she's working on a curriculum for schools to essentially teach teenagers to be savvier media consumers, which I think is a really powerful idea. And the way she puts it is, you know, there's sex ed for kids, but there's no like social media education. Like kids, they turn 13, they get a smartphone, they open up all of these apps, but no one's teaching them how to be a smarter consumer. So I'm really curious to see kind of what she develops and where that leads to. So the trust aspect, I think, is one of the biggest issues confronting Facebook right now. Because just from all the emails in my inbox, and I've spoken to many, many parents now, they feel this sense of broken trust with Facebook. But kids are getting smartphones younger and younger. That's just a fact. And Facebook also has at times kind of worked on developing a version of Instagram for kids. They've said they've shelved it for now. But as parents kind of contemplate this idea of younger kids getting on, I don't know. Like I, I think that's a really good question is should they expect if companies find harm that they'll tell them? One thing that goes through my mind, though, is that not every social media company conducts research about the potential harm their app can cause. And so to Facebook's credit, they were conducting this research and then they found harm. And so I think there's a question for us that if companies unearth unfortunate aspects of their products, should they have to tell consumers? And I think if it's, you know, a widget fails a little bit sooner than the company thought it was going to, I'm not sure that rises to that level necessarily. But if a company unearths something that has to do with health, I think that's kind of a question worth grappling with. Should the company have to disclose it? Because some of the stats that have stuck with me from this reporting, so one of them is 32% of teen girls said that when they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel worse. Then another one was, quote, we make body image issues worse for one in three teen girls. Apparently that was research about teen girls who struggled with these issues. And then uh, most kind of sobering was among teens who reported suicidal thoughts, 13% of British users and 6% of American users traced this desire to kill themselves to Instagram. So these are health consequences. These are really, really heavy issues that teenagers are dealing with. I think that's right. And one of the things you said worth grappling with is a key to my understanding of this. this. This whole phenomenon is very new. The studies are important, but we can't jump to conclusions either. So again, while I'm upset by what you uncovered, what the Wall Street Journal uncovered. I also recognize that it isn't all on Facebook and Facebook itself is grappling with it. You know, we could pretend that Facebook is some evil company only interested in profits and some say that, but I'm not sure that's fair. I think Facebook itself is struggling with it. I think we need to give them time together with Congress and others to figure this out. 
But, you know, I laugh sometimes when you buy something. You know, I order a package from Amazon, let's say an iron. And I look, and this is a bit of an exaggeration, but I look at the packaging and it like has a picture of, you know, with a red circle and a red slash, don't put the iron, the hot iron on your face as if I need that, right? Over the years, <laughs> we've had some crazy pictures like that. But at some point, we do need to figure out for Facebook, Instagram, and all the social media platforms, how do we address the safety concerns? It's, you know, the suicidal thoughts are horrific. Uh, my wife's a psychiatrist. I'm very attuned to those things, but I'm not, it's not necessarily all because of Instagram. So I think what you said, her name, I think is Larissa May is doing. It's a phenomenal idea. When I was a kid in eighth grade, I distinctly remember our teacher teaching us how to read the New York times. I think today we need to understand how to read news generally fake news and all that. But I think we also need a course, not just for kids, but for parents that maybe Facebook and other social media companies could um, sponsor, whether it's Larissa's program or otherwise, on this entire new landscape so that we're all healthier. We use these amazing tools, because Facebook is amazing. Um, all these social media tools are amazing when used in the right amounts and the right ways. Do you think that's realistic or we're too big of a country, too big of a world to ever get this done? I would like to say it's realistic. I think it could be realistic. Talking with, so I've spoken now with dozens of teenagers about their experiences with social media. and. I'm really impressed with how much so, so many of these teens really actually have a fair amount of self-perspective about these apps and how they make them feel and some of the things that they think could help improve their lives. So many of the teens I've spoken with have of their own accord set up time limits. It's what's it called? It's the screen time settings or whatever. So they go in and they'll be like, you know what, I'm going to allow myself perhaps 30 minutes a day on Instagram and two hours a day total on social media apps. And many of those teens told me they were, they noticed kind of a marked change in their happiness after they installed some tools like that. So, so while it's easier, easy to wring our hands and be like, Oh my goodness, these teenagers are, are just ruined. I think some of the teenagers really get these issues and they're trying to make their lives better. And yeah, I think a little bit of guidance could help. And, and lawmakers like, one thing that struck me from listening to the hearings was the extent to which there appears, appears to be bipartisan support to do something. And I don't know if people can agree on what that something is, but but it struck me that there wasn't kind of copious amounts of political grand, grandstanding. It was lawmakers really appeared in agreement that they want to try and help kids on this. They just need to figure out how. That's great. I didn't watch the entire thing, but I would agree. There was not a lot of grandstanding. I think we all need to recognize the complexity of the problem, work together. Hopefully, maybe it'll be one of the few things that's bipartisan <laughs> because we all want to protect our kids. Um, you know, our country has become way, way too partisan and, and, and I wish them luck figuring this out. And I hope that Facebook and other social media companies step up to the plate. Uh, totally. let's, let's talk about Francis Hagen for a moment. You know, I'm, I have mixed thoughts, right? On the one hand, I worked in the White House for almost three years, and there was a lot of leaking, as there is in any White House or any government agency. And leaking is incredibly harmful, right? It could cause all sorts of trouble. Now, on the other hand, Frances, you know, she took information that wasn't hers. She took information that she probably was bound by some sort of confidentiality agreement. Others would argue she did something illegal, immoral. But she also gave us a trove of information that could protect society. If in the end, after 
we wring our hands and focus and we all work together and actually solve or partially solve this problem, what you did was great. Where do you, where does, and you'll answer this from a journalist perspective. So I'm curious to hear your answer. Where do you as a journalist, but also as, um, as a person, as a citizen come out on, should Francis have done this and why, or it's, you know, there is some ambiguity in, t- in terms of, is it, is it black and white or do you struggle with it as well as I do? I think part of what appeared to motivate Francis and other sources who have come forward with documents is that they believed when they joined Facebook that they could help make the company and the world a better place. And many of these former employees of Facebook said they worked really hard and they really believed they were contributing to like increasing the integrity of Facebook on the platform, meaning they were helping kind of remove bad actors or suggesting ways that the company could reduce the amount of kind of just overall vitriol or polarization on their platform. And that when they suggested changes, often they would see the company reject changes that appeared to tamp down on growth. Like any changes that hurt growth or just appeared to be rejected just right off the bat. And so many of these employees became really disillusioned. And so we see these employees who tried to work within what they viewed as their system and got to a point where they were really disillusioned, that they didn't believe the company could be changed from the inside, that executives weren't listening when employees who knew the company better than anybody were saying, hey, this this is problematic, but here are ways we could address it and it might reduce growth a tiny bit. And so they clearly came to believe they had no option or they had no way to fix the problems they were seeing internally if they didn't bring these documents to the outside world. And we heard lawmakers say that Facebook doesn't appear to be able to regulate itself. And Facebook itself has come out and said it wants some some forms of regulation, that Facebook wants help from government on kind of setting up some boundaries. And so I don't think anyone is saying that Facebook's executives are evil, that they set out to do wrong, that they set out to harm the world. But I really do believe that the company's incentives just aren't aligned for the company to kind of address some of these issues proactively, that the company really values growth more than anything else. And I'm really skeptical that the company would have come out and identified these problems of if it didn't, if it wasn't forced to, if Francis Haugen and other sources didn't come out and show us these documents and show us evidence that Facebook kind of changed the news feed to reward kind of polarizing behavior or that Facebook kind of was that Instagram, you know, can be harmful for teen girls. But also as a journalist, I really believe in transparency. I really believe in the power of learning the truth about what's happening inside companies and that and the power in those stories in kind of helping change the world to be a better place. So I don't feel very conflicted about what's happened here. Should the world have a right to see these documents? Like, I think that's one of the biggest questions here. I think there's absolutely news value in these documents. And I would like to think that helping the world understand some of these thorny issues that Facebook is grappling with will help the company ultimately make better decisions. So I hear the point and I don't disagree. I'm going to play devil's advocate here just for a minute. And let's remove Facebook from this next question for a second, because I don't want to um, suggest this will be a problem for Facebook. Let's take 
company X, much smaller than Facebook, 2,000, 4,000 employees in a small town in America. The town relies on the company for jobs, for taxes, for everything, for the restaurants, hotels, and all that. I wonder if our thought process would be different if Francis did this for that small company where, yes, all the arguments you said, it's important for society, important to prevent teenage girls from feeling a certain way or horribly committing suicide and all that. But what if as a result of this activity, the company couldn't sustain the onslaught of attention and ended up ends up closing its doors, thousands of jobs lost, not just in the company, but the entire town. You know, these are, these are tough, tough questions. And again, I, I don't want to say that I'm against what Francis did. In my own head, truthfully, I haven't figured it out. I applaud her in one way, but I also sympathize with Facebook because use the word evil. I was going to use the same word. Is evil, is Facebook evil or thoughtful now that they're aware of it and trying to figure it out? Is evil, uh, is Facebook evil or struggling with some new study that they can't yet get their arms around because it's so massive and they do have a responsibility to shareholders, right? So they do have to maximize profit, but at what cost? And I want to, I want, um, I don't want that part of the conversation being lost. I think it's an important part of the conversation. I don't know if you agree. I think it's hard to separate the size that Facebook has gotten to and their power from this moment we're at with Facebook. That I think if if this were, you know, what you're describing, company X in this small town, if it's like a smaller company that's like just getting going and they're you know, at that point in their life where they're trying to do everything they can to just like keep the lights on another day at their company. I think the likelihood is that the social media app that company would be making would just be so much smaller and, and, and not be such a powerful role in our lives. And I think for me, that changes the calculus in terms of just the news value and kind of how the company is is running its social platform. But with Facebook, they're so big and they have so many users and these effects on their platform are just like, they're seeping into like every aspect of our lives. Like when Facebook went down the other day, it was amazing to me to just like have that wake up moment to like not be able to use any of their tools and and re- just remind myself how important they were in my life and other people's lives. Like for me, I use it, you know, Facebook groups for organizing with this swimming group I really love. And I was hearing stories about people who do all their business on WhatsApp. And so given how powerful and how just like seeped Facebook is in our lives and potentially the role they have in kind of helping or hurting democracy, I think that it's hard for me to separate my feelings from that with this moment in time and this whistleblower who's come forward to, you know, trying to try and show the world kind of how the company operates. So it's funny because you took the next question right out of my mouth. Oh, which, no. Which Sorry. Is, it's good. It's good. It's good conversation, which was the the outage, right? Um, I wondered how many people took a step back and thought to themselves, hey, I could survive without Facebook or Instagram or whatever for a period of time. But the truth is WhatsApp for me, I'll talk about WhatsApp is so important to my business, right? I do business in the Middle East, a lot of it. WhatsApp is huge there. And even on a personal level, so my dad passed away a month ago. I have the um, privilege of saying a prayer three times a day called Kaddish. 
I have to go to prayer services three times a day. You're supposed to anyway. I'm, I wasn't always the best at it, but during this 11 months of mourning, I do do that. Well, it turns out all of the prayer group times and the counts to make sure that we have the requisite number of people at the services are WhatsApp chats. There's no way for our groups to connect to take that count. So it was a really uh, rough day. And it turned out the out agenda just in time for the afternoon service to, to be counted. So I was really lucky. But I realized that even if I took a step back and thought, ah, social media, whatever, I could deal without it. These tools are essential for so many different things, large and small and impossible to live without, at least in my view. I completely agree. I Swimming is the main thing I do outside of working. And I'm a part of the swim group on Facebook where people organize when they're going to meet and they share articles about swimming. And um, there's like then different subgroups that have popped up as a part of this group. It's a really positive force in my life. And talking to these teenagers, many of the teenagers explain that they don't want Facebook to go away. Like for most of the teens, the positives do outweigh the negatives, the positives of being able to express themselves and the positives of connecting with other people, like other peers. But there's also this aspect of it can like increase their anxiety and their feelings of like feeling left out when they're, when they see on Instagram that their friends are hanging out without them. And so it's, is this really tricky question for many of these teenagers about they don't want it to go away, but how do they kind of improve their relationship with it and make sure they mitigate these negatives as much as possible? I don't want this conversation to turn political, but I, I'm going to ask a question that maybe has an aspect of politics in it. So Donald Trump, as you know, is banned from Facebook, banned from Twitter, yet some of these platforms give platforms to the president of Iran, the Taliban, you know, people who are actual evil people who murder people and so on and so forth. At what point do we sort of figure out should they not have this kind of power on who gets to speak, who gets the soapbox, if you will, or they should, should it be regulated? Is there a good answer to that? Oh, that is such a good question. I don't have a good answer for that. Like, I think this is the question for these platforms. And the, this is the question for everybody who uses these platforms. Like, I don't know that I can answer this for, for everyone who uses social media, that people who commit X number of horrible acts, they not be on these platforms or do we want to hear what they're saying for a news value sense? I don't, I don't know. And it's such a personal question for people. Um, I just, I, I don't have a good answer. I'm sorry. No, look, honestly, that's the best answer because it's the only honest answer, right? Personally, I don't think Donald Trump should be banned. But I would think that the Taliban should be banned, yet who am I to say, right? So I think there is no good answer. And I think it's another struggle for the social media companies and potentially lawmakers to deal with. Mm -hmm. let, me, uh, let me ask you this last question, because I think um, what this conversation was very valuable to me because it shows how complicated it is to navigate these very, very new tough issues that could cause a tremendous amount of harm but are not easy to fix and a lot more thought has to go into all these things. If you were sitting in front of Mark Zuckerberg or the Facebook board, and they said to you, you know, you've done a lot of research, you're really knowledgeable about these things, and we understand they're complicated, but what are some of the points you would want to tell them to at least think about? If you have concrete answers, even better, but 
at least thought-provoking things that they should go back to the drawing board and try to get their arms around. I want to know at what point in time did they become aware of you know, all of these challenges, all these problems on their platform that we've reported on. When did they become aware of them? And what was their thought process on who should know? Why, why did they tell some employees internally, but not, not the public, not their users? And what types of problems do they believe should rise to the level that their users have a right to know? I think we're at this point in time where you and I and so many people spend so much time on these platforms. They're so important to our lives. I think there's this like really critical question like, what should these disclosures look like? At what point is something so serious or so scary or potentially harmful for certain users, but not others? Like, what do we have a right to know? These, I think, are the questions that should be on the minds of everybody who uses these platforms. Great, great answer. And and, and it really sums up the conversation, your last few words, which is, what do we have the right to know? And uh, I think we'll all struggle through that. But the most important thing to me is, being willing to struggle through it, whether it's the testimony on the Hill and how they're going to try to deal with it, whether it's Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook itself and all the social media companies, parents, I hope parents are having these discussions. I hope the kids, I mean, you say that you've had some discussions with the teens and they're mindful of it the same way they're not, they might love a milkshake, but they know it's bad to have four milkshakes in an hour. You know, it's great that some of them have the self-discipline to put these controls on so they don't overuse it. So, George, I really want to thank you. I want to thank you for the research, and you and the Wall Street Journal, for the research that you did, the articles that you did, bringing it to the forefront of the conversation, but also for your time here today, because I think um, I think it was an important conversation. I think we could spend hours continuing to do it, and maybe we'll, you know, we'll do this again, and uh, really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. It's been really great chatting with you. Thank you. Hi, this is Jason Greenblatt on The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek. I'm really glad that Georgia Wells from the Wall Street Journal sat with me today to have this conversation. I think it was an important conversation. As a parent, in a way, I'm outraged over what's going on. The manipulation, the addiction, the difficult circumstances that our kids are being put into by the use of social media, uh, the statistics in these articles in the Wall Street Journal about Facebook and Instagram in particular are frightening. But I also think we need to be honest with ourselves and recognize that this is not all on Facebook. Let's assume for the minute that Facebook is not sacrificing society for profit. I don't know that. I don't work there. I've not had conversations with anybody at Facebook. I hope I do. I hope I get to understand where they are in these issues, what they're doing on these issues. But I think we must admit, if we're really intellectually honest, that these are new issues. These are tough issues. These are issues we have to struggle with. And it's incumbent upon all of us. Facebook, of course, and the other social media platforms where this problem can reside, Congress, lawmakers generally, uh, parents and kids themselves to figure out how to appropriately use social media and not get sucked into all of these very harmful effects. Because ultimately, there's a lot of good that comes out of social media. We just have to figure out as a society how to separate the good from the bad and how to help those who aren't able so easily to separate the good from the bad, how to do that as well, without over-regulation, without asking companies to sacrifice profits unnecessarily, but making sure that there is transparency, that dangers are um, clearly spelled out, and that helpful, important education is given out by the relevant social media companies so we could all have enough information at our disposal 
to make the decisions the decisions we need to make in order to protect ourselves and especially, especially our kids. I hope you found this conversation interesting. If you did find it interesting, please do share it in my other podcasts with your friends and family and colleagues. You can listen to The Diplomat on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Jason Greenblatt. This is The Diplomat, brought to you by Newsweek.